podcast coming at you on a Monday evening after Los Angeles Clippers took care of business with Kawhi Leonard back in the lineup against the Blazers. Brandon Marcus here along with my co-host Matt Mattawarren who is a true trooper. He is battling the flu but nothing is going to stop him from joining his friends at the Ethos Clippers Nation. Matt what's up my guy? That's right. Sports Ethos Clippers Nation. Brandon Marcus, how the heck are you? We call this one the flu game, the flu pod, but I'm ready and I am happy to be back and talking Clippers basketball. Great to have you back, my guy. Um, We last potted, I believe it was right before the Warriors game where we were making predictions and I said the Clippers were going to lose that game. And you were much more confident and you said the Clippers were going to win. And not only were the Clippers going to win, but you made a prediction of a zoo double-double, and you nailed it. So kudos to you. Let's start the pod there, man. I want to bring out a round of applause for you for nailing that prediction. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. I I just had this premonition, and I guess it really isn't such a Mastradamus type deal, that Zubach was just going to go nuts against the likes of uh, Looney and Draymond Green and maybe Kaminga or who you know whatever pseudo big they were going to throw at him. I I just had a feeling he was going to have his way, and and so he did with 19 and 16 rebounds for goodness sakes, 30 minutes, uh, super efficient, six of eight from the field, seven of eight from the line. It was a dynamo performance and a dynamite win for Let, the Clips. Let's start talking about that game because you and I haven't potted since that game, and there's a couple uh, main takeaways that I have from that game and. I want to start with Steph Curry, and it's interesting because he went off for 50 points, and he was absolutely unreal. I mean, he was unconscious. When you look at his numbers, when he goes 20 of 28, you expect to lose. And now what's interesting about Steph Curry and him going off for 50 is that it made me think a lot about Luka. And the reason why I bring up Luka is because the Clippers have faced Dallas a bunch in the playoffs, and how often... Do we talk about Luka Doncic and either making him a scorer or a passer? And if you allow him to do both, which is what Justin Wilson of LA Clippers film always comes on this podcast and preaches, if you make him do, if you allow him to do both, then you're screwed. But if you make him do one of the two and hold him from doing the other, then all of a sudden you have a shot. And what's happening here is that Steph went nuts. But what you noticed is the Clippers were able to limit everybody else. I mean, Clay only had 15 points in that game. DiVincenzo only 10. Green and Looney didn't get into double figures. Jordan Poole had 19 points. So sure, those guys, I mean, four guys in double figures, that's not bad. But what my main takeaway is that the Clippers have shown that if a guy goes off and he's scoring a crazy amount against you, you still have a chance to win if you take care of business against the other guys and also if you take care of business offensively. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on that one. That's actually a – I didn't think about that, but I love that comparison to the Luka. Just you know, letting, letting one guy get his and then sh- shutting everything else down around it. I mean it's not as if they were letting Steph get his because some of those shots that he was making, in fact, most of them Insane. were circus shots. I mean – falling off of one leg, throwing uh, throwing up a layup that somehow went in, shooting over, like, over, like, I don't know how you got some of those shots over Zoo. Some of those closeouts were late. But I do agree that it is it is informative that you can let one guy, be it a Luka, 
Beatus, Steph. I don't know how that's going to work out with like a a Phoenix that we may see in the first round, but mm-hmm. say like a, a a Jokic or somebody like that. If you let one guy get theirs and then sort of take care of business around the rest of the team, it does seem like it can be a recipe for success. You are playing with fire because if other guys get hot, then then you never know what's going to happen. I mean, Clay was six of sixteen. DiVincenzo was four of ten. So not, it's not as if everybody was super um, efficient anyway. But maybe that's the key, that's what you're saying. They focused in on those other guys and made sure they didn't get theirs. Right. I mean, who would have thought that Clay and Russell Westbrook would have the exact same field goal percentage? I mean, that doesn't happen very often. And we, I mean, Westbrook had a good game, fifteen nine and seven. But the field goal percentage six of sixteen is not great. But what we know is from that game is that the Clippers had six guys in double figures, and that goes to my second point where the Clippers have shown recently that they've got the depth and they've got the guys that can contribute around PG and Kawhi. I mean, we've been searching and searching for that perfect lineup. And we've talked about Marcus Morris and that he continues to start, but there are games where he just doesn't have it. And it's interesting that Ty Lue is starting to kind of figure it out. He's like, all right, played Terrence Mann 25 minutes in that game. Eric Gordon played 28 minutes in that game. So you look at PG, he played 40 and Kawhi played 36, and that's exactly where you want to see these guys come postseason. And what I'm seeing now is that Eric Gordon, which is what we knew before Russell Westbrook was acquired, is the perfect guy to put around this team. He has the ability to get to the hoop. He has the ability to spread the floor with his ability to shoot those long threes, and he's just a good fit with this team. And then, of course, we know how well Terrence Mann fits in. So Gordon, Mann... Zoo, Kawhi, PG. I mean, that seems to be a closing lineup we've seen. And you look at if Batum's having a good game, he's someone you can throw in there. I feel like Ty Lue is starting to figure it out a little bit, which is giving me a little more optimism than I've ever had, Matt, with this team. It feels like Ty is starting to pull the right strings. Certainly, you can look at the game that they lost without Kawhi Leonard. And sure, you probably should have played Terrence Mann more. But how many times have I come on this podcast and said, I don't bother talking about games that Kawhi doesn't play in because it doesn't give you a true indication of what the lineups are going to look like. And frankly, the Clippers are going nowhere without Kawhi Leonard. So there's no point in even talking about the team without Kawhi Leonard because if Kawhi's not there, the Clippers are going nowhere. So it starts to feel like this team is figuring it out. Do you think Ty Lue is figuring it out or do you think there's still more work to do? There's still more work to do because some of the some of the substitution patterns, um, just with I think with Zoo and just figuring out uh, Plumley and just it, and and Marcus Morris even in that even in that Portland game I thought Morris played a few too many minutes and Man played a few too little but starting to figure it out yes I do definitely agree with that I mean like the the Magic game I do agree with you we can kind of throw that out of the window because with no Kawhi like. You you can't glean anything from that. They lost the game, sure, but that's without Kawhi, and and, and he sat, and that's so he can be healthy for the playoffs. Now we still got to make the playoffs because the West is still so darn close that we are not in any great shape to guarantee making it into the playoffs. But I do think that Ty Lue is figuring it out. Um, like 31 minutes for Morris against the Magic, throw that out of the window, right? And then it goes down only to 24 in the game against Portland, which I think could have been bumped down a little bit. Team N only played 16, could have been bumped up a little bit. But as as time goes on and as as these playoff matchups uh, come into form, I do think Ty Lue is going to get a, 
better sense of who should and shouldn't be on the floor, especially in crucial minutes. And like you said, especially in the closing minutes of the game, I love, I love Eric Gordon. Yeah. They're um, running the point. So to, for, for the most part at, at the end of games, I mean, he's been, he's been like a second half behemoth, especially in the third quarter. A couple of these ones, he's, he's hitting three after three after three and just really an amazing presence on this team. So that, that's worked out swimmingly and, and just keeping Zoo, get those minutes up. I mean, I love Plumley. He he's had a, a big re, some re, big rebounding games. He he's he's a point he's point Plumley every now and then. But uh, yeah, I, I do think Tyler is figuring it out. I th- I hope. I think that Warriors game was close to the perfect game, and the reason why I say that is because you look at the plus minus. You know how much I like looking at plus minus. The entire bench, and I'm not going to count Amir Coffee because we only played one minute, the entire bench was plus. And what that's showing us is that when the bench guys come in, the Clippers aren't having a huge drop-off. Sometimes you'll see the starters have that massive plus-minus. And sure, I mean, Kawhi was a plus 11 in that game, and same with Zoo and Westbrook being a plus 10. But if you're able to go plus with the bench unit, that means that you're going to be in good shape. And we've known all along since the beginning of the season that this team was going to have the depth and they were going to have the guys on the floor that could actually contribute. I mean, you look at their one through nine and you compare that to any other team in the NBA and there's only a few others that you can say can even rival that. And that is probably going to be teams like Boston where they can bring guys once all healthy like Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon off the bench and Grant Williams. But there aren't many other teams in the NBA that are as deep as the Clippers, and that'll help when you get guys in foul trouble and when you notice that certain guys aren't great for certain matchups. And I think the Clippers being able to win a game against the Warriors, and I said it before, I don't think they're going to win because I just don't think they've won a game against a good team. And this is the first time that Kawhi and PG have played against uh, Clay and Steph, and they were up to the task. And they are starting to show a little more urgency now, Matt, than we have seen previously. And it's frustrating because how often do we come on this podcast earlier in the season and say, guys, every game matters. You win games earlier in the season, you put less pressure on yourself down the stretch. Well, they didn't take care of business, but now we're kind of seeing what happens when the Clippers put a lot of pressure on themselves to win games, and that is they win games. It's it's a nice thing to say. see. I just wish it happened earlier, Matt. And speaking of pressure and focus to go back, or to continue on with that Warriors game, it's not often you see Steph start to have that sort of iconic Steph Curry's hitting everything, trick shots, three-pointers run. And the Clippers are able to withstand that punch and not only withstand it, but then maintain and win the game afterwards. You know, there's a lot of times you'd expect the Clippers to collapse in the face of a Steph Curry explosion, and that didn't happen. I mean, it, we they kept playing hard. Defense kept playing defense and just kept running their offense, and it turned into a win. And I thought that was kind of impressive, just a little bit of mental uh, fortitude on the floor as well. Yeah, I mean, there have been times where the Clippers have given up a lead, and we've said, all right, well, they should have won that game, and they gave it away. But to be able to be in the right spot at the right time and pick up the win is a great sign. And that kind of allows us to move to the game that happened yesterday. And that was another one where the Clippers started to allow Portland to come back into the game. And 
They took their foot off the gas, and we've seen it plenty of times this year where the Clippers don't have that killer instinct, but then they were able to come to the party, and they were able to win that game and win by 15. And one thing I want to talk about with yesterday's game, and it's Paul George. And what's interesting is, I'm not sure if you saw this quote after the game, but Andrew Greif tweeted out, and I thought it was interesting, where Paul George was asked about his poor shooting in the first half and his ability to get right in the second half. And he said that he comes out a certain way every game, and there's a certain way he wants to attack teams. And when that doesn't work, he goes back to the bench, and he kind of just takes a big, deep breath. He evaluates all the different plays that he ran when he was on the floor, and he kind of talks himself through it while he's on the bench and adjusts. And that's impressive. I mean, that's really impressive. It's like a pitcher who notices what he needs to do, whether he needs to change from the fastball to the changeup or go more curve because he notices how guys are hitting him. And it's kind of like that with Paul George where he's noticing certain ways he can get to the hoop. And I wish he was better in the first half, but the ability that Paul George has is that he can score the basketball with the best of them. And we want him to take a lot of shots. And for him to start as poorly as he did the last couple of ball games and to rebound the way he has the last couple of ball games certainly tells us a lot, Matt, about PG seemingly being in a better headspace than he was before, where we've seen plenty of times he's taken less than 10 shots. But for him to get to the line 12 times yesterday when he wasn't getting to the line at all initially, it shows you that he's able to adjust. And that's exactly what he did in the second half yesterday. I love that. Yeah. I was just going to mention the free throws getting to the line 12 times. And that's, that's a really great thing that he's said. And it's just, it just shows some mental awareness and I love being able to adjust mid game, see where the flow is going and see how you're being played and how, how you can exploit that or just change your trajectory of what you're trying to do in the second half. So you're right. Getting to the line, taking 22 shots, getting to the line 12 times shows an aggressiveness, uh, a, a, a willing to a willingness to to change course mid game. Uh, the nine rebounds, the four assists, the four steals, the block, never giving up on defense. I uh, did have four turnovers, but we'll take that with 29 points to add. And I think um, if Paul George is in that headspace going into the playoffs, then the Clippers are in a good a good space to to succeed as well and um also with that in that in in that portland game it just we, we mentioned it before but with Kawhi back it just shows just how everything sort of with his gravitas everything sort of rounds into place and another 28 minutes seven of nine for eric gordon mm-hmm. that rotation coming into form uh was was really showing and another nearly triple-double, and a great game from Russ, uh, I, I, I can't go without saying. Yeah, and what's interesting with Paul George is that he was a turnover machine in that game on Saturday, and frankly, he was a disaster. And we've seen before where he said he doesn't want to be the primary ball handler, and that's why he wanted Russ to come to the Clippers. He just doesn't like having to ignite the action on his own, and there are times where he needs to, and he needs to be aggressive, but it's so funny to watch the Clippers and watch Paul George when he's got Kawhi back in the lineup versus when he doesn't have him. It really feels like he's out there missing his best friend and he doesn't know what to do. He's a lost puppy in the, in the park and he's throwing stuff left and right and not knowing where to go. And the turnovers were a disaster on Saturday. All of a sudden Kawhi comes back and he only has two turnovers. 
he, he just seems to be more focused and more together when he's got Kawhi on the floor. And that's crucial. And Kawhi has just been unbelievable. I and mean, we, we've talked to him about him at nauseum. And for him to be a plus 23 in his 40 minutes shows you that the Clippers, in eight minutes with him off the floor, were a minus eight. And that's a very small sample size, eight minutes, but shows you how good the Kawhi minutes have been for the Clippers and how important they're going to be in the playoffs and how important he is to this team. And if he's able to play 40 minutes and PG's able to play 40 minutes, the Clippers are going to be a really tough out come playoff time. We'll talk about that in a second because I do want to talk talk about the standings because we are getting close enough to discuss that. But it's interesting, Matt, that it seems like PG needs Kawhi in order to have success. I mean, they're going to be a force. I, I, I misspoke. I said he had four turnovers. He had two. I was yeah. looking at Russell's four uh, turnovers here. But it, it, it is, it is, it is, it is his Paul George to. Uh, excuse me. Uh, he's got his lead singer back. He's 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 just ready to to perform when he has his his cohort, his partner. Like there there's a there's an air of confidence. Like you said, it when he has the ball and he's bringing it up, and Kawhi's not on the floor, he's just not in the game. You see those bounce off the foot turnovers, those throws in to nowhere, the the spin moves that go absolutely nowhere. And when he's on the court, there's just there's a sense of calm. And I think we, you and I have talked about this maybe from almost the beginning of the season, or at least when Kawhi came back. This presence, this sense of calm, and this sense of purpose when Kawhi's on the floor. And I think aside from the efficiency from the defense. From the offensive prowess, um, that that sense of gravity that he brings and he commands, it just bleeds into the entire team, and that's why he's Kawhi Leonard. That's why he's one of the best players in the league. And like you said, if he can play 38 to 42 minutes uh, game by game in the playoffs, and so can Paul George, Clippers are going to be a force. Yeah, and so I, I don't I don't know if there's anything else that I want to really talk about from yesterday. I thought PG was the main focus um, and what he's done in the last couple of ball games. I mean, Zoo is Zoo. We talked about him already and what he brings to this team. We talked about Eric Gordon. Um, I mean, they Rob- were they were. I will say this: they were frustrating the heck out of Lillard. Yeah. Last night, and um, luckily I was on a bye week in fantasy, so it. It, it didn't hmm. affect me too much because I've loaded on my team. Um, but it was great to see. I mean, he, of course, he got to the line a bunch, but four of 17 from the field. And you could and you could see it. I didn't get to watch the whole game, but I, I was uh, because of my uh, flu-like symptoms. Mm-hmm. But I was dipping in every here and there, and I just saw Lillard. They were, they were swarming him. They were doubling him. They were meeting him half court. They were really frustrating Lillard. I love to see that. Curious your thoughts on Westbrook, because I've seen conflicting um, tweets over the last couple of days about people's thoughts on him and the way he's played. I mean, 3 of 12 is not good. Um, 9 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists. It's close to a triple-double. Four turnovers, though. Uh, The one thing that I did see posted on Twitter, which is really interesting, and I think it was Joey Lynn, who's a good follow on Twitter, posted and it's something very underrated that you don't see in a box score, and that is the bounce pass that Westbrook throws to Zoo is a really good bounce pass. Instead of the ball being thrown to a big at his legs where he's got to reach down, the ball that Westbrook throws is a good one, and it's basically chest high and allows Zoo to receive it in a good spot where he's able to get a quick turn. And it does seem like there are times where Zoo just looks better on the floor with Westbrook 
with an actual guard knowing where to get him the ball. And we know how good how, and how important Zoo is. But if you have somebody on the floor that sure is not doing great themselves, but is helping the others around them, I think that's worth a lot more than people think. And um, there are certainly times where Westbrook doesn't belong on the floor. But I do think that Westbrook is carving himself out a nice role, which is something that I didn't think I was going to say. Curious your thoughts on him and whether he is having a good game um, or yesterday was a good game, a bad game, or somewhere in between. I, 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 do, lo- I do like the bounce passes to Zoo. I've seen that. He does that with uh, Plumley as well. He's kind of just a master at getting people the ball where it's supposed to be when when he does when he does distribute the ball i think he's been a very positive impact or he's had a very positive impact on this team despite the three of 12 the free throw shooting yesterday he was perfect but it it's it's been better than i thought it was going to be but here you know, here and there it's a little shaky um i i i, I love his enthusiasm and we talked about this last time just the fact that he's bought in and it seems like he's going to play whatever role it's given to him in on a game to game basis, whether it's 34 minutes last night in a win against the uh, win against the Blazers, it's 27 minutes in a win against the Warriors or whatever the case may be, he's going to play that role. So I, I, I couldn't be more happy with, with the way that Westbrook has fit in. He's, he's even running some, some off ball screens, uh, which he never does, but seems like, seems like he's bought in and he just wants to sort of, he wants to perpetuate a winning mentality, which I think is a is a positive. I I don't have too many negative things to say about Russ. He still takes some ill-advised mid-rangers. Um, he had one or two yesterday, and that's just going to happen with Russ. The uh, the threes are never going to really be there, so the shooting is not there. We know this. He's going to turn it over a bunch. We know this, but as long as he plays within Tyloo's system and he plays his role, I'm I'm giving it a. I'm giving an A-OK in my book. Yeah, I think there's a, a place for him, for sure. And I, I get the turnovers and the field percentage is not great. And the, it's he is harmful to the team at times. But um, I think his ability to recognize, like he did on Saturday, that he played a terrible game and that he wasn't getting his, his uh, guys open shots. And that's his job. And so it seems like he's – the one thing he's doing is that he's taking a lot of responsibility – and he knows that the Clippers are taking a chance on him because he's failed the last several places he's been. And he has not been good the last several years. And it seems like he understands what his role is. And that's a credit to him. So I, I'm just interested to see how it plays out the rest of the year. But I, I do think there's a lot of self-awareness there, which says a lot about a certain individual to be able to recognize when you're right and when you're wrong. And that's one thing it feels like West, Westbrook does have is that he does have that self-awareness. And I wonder if him coming in and he and Paul George being such good friends and, and Paul George now taking seem, seemingly taking a little more accountability for his play on the court, Russell doing the same. I wonder if they chatted about that at all and if that has any impact on it, that yeah. they're such good friends, maybe they're holding each other accountable. You know, you know I, I don't know, but it could be a thing. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, let's look at the standings because the Clippers right now um, are in fifth place and they are half a game back of the Phoenix Suns. They are one and a half back of the Dallas Mavericks, I believe, unless that has not been updated since the... Um, yep, no, there you go. It has been updated now. So they are two games up on the Dallas Mavericks. So the Warriors now are a game and a half behind the Clippers, and they slid up to that sixth spot. So it's the Suns at nine and a half back of first, the Clippers 10 back, uh, the Warriors 11 and a half back, and the Mavs 12 back. So 
we're kind of getting to that point where the Clippers feel like they're going to be in that four or five or six. And the way the Warriors have played on the road and the way the Clippers have played, and it seems like they do have some winnable games coming up, it's starting to feel like they're going to be in that four or five matchup. And I don't love it. I don't love it at all, Matt. You you talked about how you wanted to see the Clippers in that 3-6 to play Sacramento instead of playing Phoenix. Phoenix has Booker. They've got Paul. They've got Aiton. And they're going to have Durant. I just don't know if that's the path you want to have is going against the Suns and the Nuggets. I think those are two teams, the Clippers, frankly. I'm not sure they can beat. Um, what are your thoughts on what lies ahead? Do you want to see the Clippers try and get that four spot where they have home court against Phoenix? Or I understand this is towing a very thin line, but would you rather see them get that six spot? I mean, it's so our good buddy Shane Young um he tweeted out that he said there are two teams in the West that he doesn't believe that the Clippers can beat mm-hmm. in a seven-game series. And he said right now they would both fall in to the Clippers bracket. And he's referring to Phoenix and he's referring to Denver. So I tend to agree with Shane on a lot, and I agree with him on this. Those are some very, very tough matchups. I would hate to have to play the Suns and then the Nuggets. Of course, if it's going to happen, we do want the four seed so we can at least have home court. And then going into that, Three six. We're not going to get the three. It's, it's it, that's that's too far gone at this point. So to to skate that really thin ice to try to to make it into the sixth seed. I guess given my preference, I'd like to be in the sixth seed, even though we don't have home court and the Kings are are on fire right now, and uh, their their offense is seemingly unstoppable. They don't play much defense. Mm-hmm. I do think the Clippers could exploit them. I will say this. I don't think I'm as afraid of the Suns as as maybe a lot of other a lot of others are. I Why? do think the Clippers have a very decent chance to beat the Suns against an oft injured uh, Chris Paul, mm-hmm. KD coming off of of his ankle. He's still going to be KD. You know, he always comes back as KD. I don't think I don't think Aiton is really light years ahead of Zoo. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And and then Booker and uh, and Paul George sort of match up pretty well. So I, I don't think it's like the craziest matchup. I don't I don't think it's this. It, of course, it's a daunting task, and I don't think it's our, it's the preferred matchup. But I don't think it's out of the question that we could beat the Suns in the first round in five or four. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, they definitely can't win in four. I mean that that's very optimistic. Oh no, no, I mean I, I mean five or four. The okay. Position. Okay. The, the I thought you were saying games. Not, not, not gonna win. Not gonna not gonna win in four games. There's no there's no way. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I mean that's optimistic. I, I don't know. It just it feels like you've got Booker, you've got Kawhi, you've got PG, you got KD, you got Aiden, you got Zoo. It's just like who's gonna guard Paul? Um, and that puts a lot of pressure on Westbrook and Terrence Mann and Eric Gordon. And it just feels like you're really going to have to figure that one out if you are Ty Lu. And hopefully the Clippers get into the position where they can kind of choose what they want to do um, going into the last game of the season. Because I think the last game of the season, the Clippers actually would face the Suns, if I'm not we're mistaken. At, you think we're at Phoenix? Right? Yeah, they're yeah. at Phoenix. And that is a back-to-back that starts with Portland. So you're probably not going to see Kawhi in both those games. So ideally, you win that game against Portland if you need to. 
and then you do whatever at Phoenix. And I think I saw, <clears throat> I forget, I think it was Lucas that tweeted earlier um, from 213 Hoops that said, hopefully you just don't have anybody on that plane to Phoenix that is going to be a regular rotation player. I mean, Kawhi, PG, they don't even make the trip. There's no need to, and that they're ready to go for the playoffs. So you look what's ahead, and I think it's important now to talk about that. Two games against OKC, a team that has beaten you twice already in the first two matchups. And SGA is going to play both of those games, Tuesday and Thursday, both at home. And then you've got Saturday against New Orleans at home. Chicago is at home after that. You've got four straight games before you go on the road to face Memphis twice. I mean, there is no reason why the Clippers get anything less than three wins in the next four. And that'll give you a little more of a cushion going forward. And then you have the two games at Memphis, which will be difficult. At New Orleans, which shouldn't be that difficult. And the Lakers in Portland, which also shouldn't be difficult. So you look at the schedule, and the Clippers have 10 games left. There's no reason why they can't win at least six or seven at minimum, Matt. And I think that kind of locks them into that five spot at worst if they're able to win seven games. I think so. I mean, I... I... I could see them dropping maybe one against the Grizzlies and then a random one here or there. But yeah, seven out of the 10 is completely reasonable. And honestly, it shouldn't be any less than that. Uh, just if, you, if, if you'll indulge me, just to go back to Phoenix real quick, because I was thinking about, I, yeah, I go ahead. Thinking about Phoenix. And if it is this four or five matchup, beyond the four guys, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Durant, and Aiton, I mean, that I feel like it drops off of a cliff. I mean, of course, those are those are four guys, uh, two definite Hall of Famers, perhaps eventually one in Booker. But it, I, I think Tory Craig's, uh, Tory Craig's of the world, uh, Terrence Ross, you know, the, the the campaign, the rest of their guys, they don't frighten me too much. I think the Clippers. I mean, where where they might have the 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 front four talent, perhaps advantage the. The depth, and I know we always say it, it's the magic word with the Clippers. The depth, though, I think is a real heavy advantage in the Clippers' favor. Because I don't see anybody, I, I don't, I hate the depth of the Phoenix team. I don't really see anything past those four that frightens me in the slightest. Yeah, I know, that's fair. I mean, geez, you bring up campaign. Remember when campaign was destroying the Clippers? Um, it felt like he was just unstoppable at one point. So, um, yeah, but I, I mean, that's like an aberration. I don't think that's really the norm. No. And speaking of norm, if we get norm power back. But yeah, I, I just don't I don't see that. I, I, don't, I don't know that their depth. So anyway, in a seven game series, I, I don't think that. That it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to win in, in any way, shape or form. No, I agree. And then you put up a lot of miles on KD and you put those miles on Chris Paul in a long series and who knows what's going to happen. Um, and KD, by the way, hasn't even come back yet. So who totally. knows when he's going to be ready. I would assume he'd be ready for the last couple of weeks of the season. But we're kind of running out of time. Um, I, I do think the Clippers need to show some, um, some of that. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, not necessity. The, the, the need to win. Um, urgency. Yeah, urgency. There you go. Thank you. Uh, they need to show their urgency against OKC, against a team that's already beaten them twice. Uh, I'd like to see the Clippers not mess around with these two games because 
uh, they need to know that they've already lost twice to this team. And this is a team in SGA and Jalen Williams that can destroy you. And Josh Giddy, I mean, they've got talent. So I'll, I'll be curious to see what happens with this Clippers team and if they lay an egg. Because remember, as much as we said, hey, six or seven should get you that four or five, you go and you lose against OKC, and then you lose at home to New Orleans, then you lose those two games against Memphis, and then you lose to Phoenix. That's five losses. And all of a sudden, you're getting real dangerously close to that uh, that seven spot. So I know we want to possibly get that six and play against Sacramento, but Sacramento, of course, like you said, could be a problem in a series, especially with that home court. I think their home court is going to be insane compared to what you would see with Phoenix. So uh, uh, in that regard, I think I'd rather play Phoenix. But the Clippers can't play with their food here. I think they just got to win games. And so that kind of goes back to my question, what would you rather see? I think what I'd rather see is the Clippers playing well and winning games. And if that means Mm -hmm. you end up in that 4-5 or spot, you end up in the 4-5 or spot. I mean, you got to beat the best to win it all. Sometimes it does help to have an easier path. But how many times have we seen injuries happen in the playoffs and all of a sudden those paths get a lot easier than what you thought? And that could very well happen um, in this postseason run. I mean, what happens if Jokic gets hurt in the first round? You never want that to happen. But then all of a sudden, facing Denver, not so scary. Or Michael Porter Jr. gets hurt. That back acts up. Facing Denver, not so scary anymore. So you just got to win what's ahead, get to the playoffs, avoid that play-in, and then just go from there. And Brandon, you mentioned laying an egg. The Pelicans, who we play right after our, the back-to-back against or the pseudo-back-to-back against the Thunder, that's the team that the Clippers lost to in the midst of a losing streak at the beginning of the season. It went Thunder loss, Thunder loss, Pelicans mm-hmm. in the beginning. So this is a this is a total redemption arc to beat those three teams in the Clippers' next three games. Yeah, and so the Clippers have now won five of their last six, and that came after that ugly losing streak to start um, – coming back from the all-star break where they lost five in a row. So now they're two different teams that we've seen so far. And so what are we going to, what team are we going to see down the stretch? I think that's the main question that we're going to have to answer. And I'll be very curious to see what happens. Um, any final words? Uh, no, just what team are we going to see? Is it going to be with Kawhi or without Kawhi? Because honestly, like you said, it's two different teams. Everybody plays a bit differently, which is to be expected. And if Kawhi is healthy going into these playoffs, be it the sixth, fifth, fourth seed, whatever the case may be, I think the Clippers are in good shape and we should be optimistic Yeah, going into these playoffs. But we, we aren't going into the playoffs yet. Like you said, we got 10 games left, so let's uh, let's play well. That's what we want to see. I know I always say the goal is to have a podcast at a certain time, and sometimes I don't live up to that. But the goal is to have a podcast probably on Friday um, after those two OKC games. We can look back to see how the Clippers did in those OKC games. Look ahead to the game against New Orleans and then look ahead to the game possibly against Chicago unless we do a game uh, preview before that Chicago game. So, at Matt Mattawarren on Twitter, the flu game. Well done by my friend Matt for fighting through it. A great podcast. I thought my buddy Matt fought through and did a fantastic job. At Matt Mattawarren on Twitter, at BD Marcus for myself, at Ethos Clippers is the Twitter handle. Of course, if you go ahead and check out Ethos Fantasy, it is worth noting that with fancy baseball season around the corner, get that fancy pass because Joe Orico does a tremendous job with what is going on with the baseball draft guide. He's going to get you ready for your fancy baseball draft. I know mine is a week from today, and I will definitely be using that draft guide and using some of that advice that Joe Orico is throwing out. So make sure you check that out 
as well. Rate and review the podcast, of course. Five-star rating always does help. And if you give us a review, that's always nice and very kind of you. So, until next time, he's Matt. I'm Brandon. And go Clips. listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and i'm rebecca we're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say didn't see that coming and we hate the people responsible for them listen to people are the worst now on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts